0: morning this morning we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 2 starting in verse 8 and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear and the angel said to them fear not for behold I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people And at the end of the eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Just picture this. What if, what if the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra came to Westminster and offered a free concert? What if Coldplay came to Westminster to offer a free concert? But imagine this. Imagine that nothing's in the newspaper about it. Nothing online mentioning Coldplay's coming to Westminster to give a free concert. The BSO's coming to Westminster. Nothing at all in the newspaper. Nothing on the internet. No social media blurbs. Nothing. Imagine none of us know. None of us are invited. Rather, what if Coldplay appeared downtown by the railroad tracks? Underneath the overpass, the corner of Main Street and Ridge Road, there's an overpass. The railroad tracks go under that overpass. What if Coldplay showed up there to give a free concert to the homeless? Because that's where they hang out when it doesn't get too cold. None of us know, but the world's best concert is taking place just down the street, being offered freely to the Least imaginable people you'd think they would offer a concert to. That's kind of what happened the night Jesus was born. God's choice to announce his son's birth to shepherds, to blue-collar people who were considered by rabbinical law to be ceremonially unclean and couldn't even go into the temple because they handled sheep their entire lives. Outrageously unconventional God to do something like that. God did the, rem- the remarkable thing of visiting us in the most unremarkable manner. And that's highlighted so well, that's highlighted so well, I think, in-, in the carol Angels We Have Heard on High, which is based on an old French song from the 18th century. The version we sing now is, is kind of an adaptation and a redevelopment of an old French carol. And right here, you see this amazing thing. See within a manger laid Jesus, Lord of heaven and earth. See within a manger, you know, something that livestock eat out of. Imagine in that manger, the Lord of heaven and earth. The carol beautifully portrays this paradox of the Lord of the universe lying in a manger as a baby. It highlights, I think, the fact that God's not predictable. God doesn't conform to our assumptions, to our expectations, and even to some of our desires. The Christmas story, the whole concept of Christmas, reveals a God who far exceeds all of our expectations. If you're not a Christian or if you are struggling with who God is and with what the Bible is all about, or even who Jesus is, I really want to invite you to listen closely today. Uh, If you are a Christian, I think this is a good thing for us to remember or consider maybe for the first time. There's hearing about Jesus. At some point, y'all heard about Jesus. There's hearing about him, but then there's discovering who he actually is. And even beyond that, there is even, if you're willing to continue in the discovery process, a beautiful result. There's adoring Jesus. There's hearing about the real Jesus, just what happened to the shepherds. But then there's discovering who the real Jesus is. The shepherds discovered that as well. But finally, if you're willing, there's adoring The real Jesus, what we're going to talk about today, hearing the real Jesus, hearing about the real Jesus, discovering who he is. And finally, adoring the real Jesus, not the plastic baby in a manger, but adoring the real Jesus. Hearing about the real Jesus, according to one writer, nearly scared the life out of those shepherds. While Mary was nestling her firstborn son Jesus uh, into the manger outside of Bethlehem. The fields were lit up according to Luke's history of Christ's birth. Local shepherds saw on that night, the equivalent of a Hollywood depiction of a UFO sighting. Essentially, if, if the angels had come to us today, all of our gadgets would start going crazy because of some massive energy surge when those angels Appeared. An angel of the Lord, we're told in verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And it says, The glory of the Lord shone around them. Those shepherds must have never forgotten that so that decades later, as the physician Luke is composing a detailed historical account of the life of Jesus Christ, those, some shepherd relayed that information, which eventually was available to Luke as he put his history together. But we see in verse 9 that the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. We're actually also told in verses 13 and 14, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. That means an army. So he must have been some kind of a commander because then an entire army backed him up. And it says this army does something most of our armies don't do. They start singing with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host appeared praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. As we sing in Latin, gloria in excelsis Deo, glory to God in the highest. As a musician, I can only imagine what that must have sounded like, right? An army of heavenly beings, declaring out loud, melodiously, glorious glory to God in the highest. Some people throughout history have tried to depict that with human choirs. Antonio Vivaldi has a great rendition of that phrase, glory to God in the highest. Frederick Handel, George Frederick Handel has a great, you know, the Hallelujah Chorus and the Messiah, these amazing works of humanity. But I actually think they probably all pale in comparison to what the shepherds heard that night, only the shepherds heard that amazing concert of angels. But the armies of heaven sang not to Augustus Caesar, not to King Herod, not even to the high priest in the temple in Jerusalem. They sang to shepherds. It would have been like if what would have happened today is those angels would have bypassed all the, the elites in Washington, D.C., And Annapolis and Johns Hopkins and the BSO patrons and the Kennedy Center. Bypassed all those folks and went out to the Chesapeake Bay and gave a free concert to watermen out there in the middle of the bay. That's what it would have been like. All these folks, but the angels decided to visit a bunch of salty watermen while they were just pulling in their lines, pulling up their pots. And in verse 12, uh, we discover that the angel spoke to them after the glorious concert. The angel said to the shepherds, look, this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, the scholar Kenneth Bailey, the New Testament scholar Kenneth Bailey says that's a really important uh, thing that Luke is recording there, that the angel gave the shepherds a clue. You're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. That's important information for a group of shepherds, because what it tells the shepherds is the king of Israel, the true Messiah is not being housed in a palace or in the temple where you're unwelcome. The true Messiah is waiting for you in a normal home, lying in an animal's, Trough in a feeding trough, the, the, the king of kings, the Lord of the universe is welcoming you. You'll find him in a simple manger. And so they knew that they could go and search for the t- child because shepherds have mangers in their homes and common people wrapped their babies in swaddling cloths. So that was specifically a sign for shepherds. Actually, the the civil rights era, civil rights activist and Bible scholar from the South, Clarence Jordan, put it this way. Because he, he 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 translated all of the gospels in the southern vernacular of his day. And this is how he puts what the angel said to the shepherds. Here's a clue for you. You'll find the baby wrapped in a blanket, lying in an apple box. That's really, in a sense what they were saying to the shepherds. You know, it's okay. This is a baby in whose presence you're quite welcome. And that really gets to the point. Although the shepherds were terrified at what they saw, they learned something very important. The king, the real king, welcomes simple people. And that really leads me to the next point. Hearing about Jesus the real jesus really invites us to discover who he is every plot, every proclamation of the gospel is also an invitation to discover more deeply every announcement that jesus has come is also an invitation to discover more who he is it's not just information you know when the royal family uh, has another child On the other side of the pond, we're not all invited to show up and hang out with the baby. We're told about it, and that's the extent of it. Only special people are allowed to see a royal baby, and that's not what's happening here. The shepherds hear the news that unto them a Savior is born who is Christ, the Lord Messiah, given the designation of God himself in the Old Testament, Lord. But then they're told, go And visit this baby. Amazing. You know, discovering the real Jesus, not just hearing about him, but discovering the real Jesus was a personal, intimate experience for the shepherds. We're told by Luke in verse 16 that they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. So the magnificent scene outside of Bethlehem, is contrasted here by the ordinary scene inside of Bethlehem. Seemingly ordinary baby in an ordinary Palestine home. Though tradition and even some of the carols that we sing in certain nativity scenarios in our culture, uh, tradition presents the nativity as as jesus in a stable because some surly innkeeper denied the family access uh, to a place to stay but there's actually plenty of evidence in luke chapter 2 in archaeology to suggest otherwise now if you go back earlier in the chapter in luke chapter 2 verse 7 uh, and you know, this is a famous line. You discover that Mary laid Jesus in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. That's where the problem comes because of, because of what we think about the word in. The Greek word for in there is better translated as guest room. The word comes up again later on in Luke's gospel. In Luke chapter 22, there was another room where Jesus and his disciples celebrated the Passover, the upper room. It's the same Greek word. It's a guest room. It's a room in the house that was reserved for visitors, for, for out-of-town people. Palestinian homes back then and even up until the last century were very simple. They were basically one-room houses. There was a main living area where the entire family worked and cooked and ate and hung out and slept All of them together in the same place. But there was an adjoining guest room. And that's the word that Luke is using here. There's an adjoining guest room for visitors and for friends. There was also an adjoining stable. Because animals were brought in, actually brought into the house at night for warmth and for protection. And so all of this is taking place, the animals in the stable, the family in the main area, the guest room. It's all really close, really cramped, everybody together. But what we're told here in Luke is that there was no room for Mary and Joseph in the guest room. And so Jesus had to be born somewhere else, most likely in the main part of the house, in the living room where everybody resided, don't forget, if you read the beginning of Luke chapter 2, Mary and Joseph returned to Bethlehem because it's where both of their families were from. Their families were both of the lineage of King David. The city of David is Bethlehem. They, A lot of people had returned because of the Roman census. So there were probably other relatives or friends who had already occupied the guest room, and therefore there was no room for this family. So Jesus scholars believe, was just born right there in the living room in the middle of everything. And there was access to mangers in the main part of the house because the animals were right there. So a manger was the most likely place to put a newborn baby. Why am I going through all of this? To basically say that the shepherds showed up to see a very normal thing in a very normal home of Palestine. They show up and they don't, they don't see Jesus rejected in some obscure corner. They see Jesus and Mary and Joseph in a normal house with a normal. What happens when you visit? If you had visited any one of my six children who were born, you visited them at our house, you'd find grandparents and aunts and uncles and friends and people bringing food. It just, you just find a bunch of people because that's kind of what happens. When a new baby comes along. And I think what confirms this is what you read in verses 17 and 18. The shepherds made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherd had said. All who heard it. What, like the, the donkeys? Who wondered at what was said? Everybody else in the house. And I'm bringing this up to say there's... There's just something very real and earthy and authentic about the real birth of the real Jesus. This amazing experience takes place out in the fields beyond Bethlehem. But when the shepherds finally show up, it's not a UFO sighting. You know, their phones aren't buzzing and, you know, the, the, the garage door isn't going up and down like this they show up and it's a family it's relatives and friends who were there because of the census and there's this mary this young woman this young girl and 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 her betrothed joseph and this little baby lying in a manger because it was the best place to put the baby at the time what do you make of this what what do we make of this striking contrast between the sublime announcement and singing in concert and this normal visit this simple unremarkable visit. What do you make of that contrast? Well, I think it's simply this, the message of Christmas, actually Christianity itself invites you to discover, to discover God invites you to come close to the transcendent. Doesn't keep you far away, but bids you to come, to come near, to get real, to get close and personal. The angelic fanfare was appropriate for the king of kings and the creator of the universe. After all, we're told in Colossians chapter one that Jesus, that little baby, is the image of the invisible God. That through and for that little baby, all things were created. That little baby made everything. And the goal of everything is to honor and worship that little baby So the angelic choir, the noise and the light and the terrifying spectacle was very appropriate. But the manger, the manger and the house and the people and the little town of Bethlehem, that was necessary to discover the true intentions of this king who had showed up who decades later, as a man, would say these words that he had not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It is normal and it is actually right to be terrified by Jesus when you hear about him. That is normal. There, you should be scared of God in a sense. This baby should scare the living daylights out of you, if you're honest with yourself. But at the same time, it is disorienting to discover that Jesus is a humble servant. That he first came to shepherds. Laid in a common manger, in an ordinary Jewish home. And then he, we we're told that he was even circumcised on the eighth day, like every other Jewish Baby boy, that's really important because it reveals to us that Jesus was submitting himself to the very covenant that he had established thousands of years before with Abraham, with Moses, with the people of Israel. Jesus, the creator of the law, as a human being, was submitting himself to that very law to keep it, to honor it, to fulfill it, to die for the people of who could not keep it. This reveals to us this common looking baby in a common looking house. Given a common, though beautiful name, Jesus, which is essentially is Joshua. The Lord is salvation. Normal, everyday Jewish name. Circumcised like everybody else on the eighth day. This is, this is all to show us that Jesus was submitting to our finitude, to our sorrow to our suffering. And so the Christmas story invites us to come and discover, not just to hear about, but to come and discover who God truly is the real Jesus. As we read earlier today, the prophet Isaiah said, seek the Lord while he may be found before it's too late. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Isaiah went on to say, let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man, his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. Here's why. Because that frightening God is actually compassionate. Because Isaiah said, return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. Return to our God because our God will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways My ways, declares the Lord. God doesn't respond like we think he's going to respond. We think he's going to judge us. And it turns out he shows compassion and forgiveness. And instead, he judges himself. God doesn't conform to our thoughts and our desires and our expectations. Jesus is not some God that you've concocted in your mind. We kind of make fun of the ancients because they, they made these little paper, paper mache statues and covered them in gold and bowed down and worshiped them. And we, it seems ridiculous to us nowadays. We would never bow down to some weird looking statue that you could stick on the dashboard of your car. I think that's arrogant. We still do it. We, we don't form them into little gold statues, but in our minds, we have an image of what we think God is. Of who we think he's about. And sometimes the image of God that we have in our minds is something that looks very much like the worst elementary school teacher we ever had, or an abusive parent, or some crooked politician that you read about in the newsfeed. And that's the image, and that's the image we create. And we crucify that image of who we think God is, or we worship that expectation of who we think God is. And we look in the mirror, and sometimes that idol that we formed looks a whole lot like yourself. But Jesus doesn't conform to that. He's not the image of your worst elementary school teacher. Jesus is not the image of the worst politician you could imagine. We approach Jesus expecting, even fearing, things that don't represent him at all. And we begin to think, ah, if maybe we don't say this to ourselves, but I think it works this way. We begin thinking if we can just keep that picture in mind, we can stay away. We don't have to come near. We can keep avoiding him. We can keep putting Jesus off as long as that whacked out image of who he is in our mind stays in our mind's eye. Oh, it's just stay away. But the real Jesus has already invited himself over. He is persistent. The real Jesus is patient. The real Jesus keeps showing up. He he keeps engaging with us. The Bible teaches that Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. And he is ruling the universe at the right hand of God, the father. We just read about it in the apostles creed in that he's coming back as a judge to once and for all make things right. Yeah. Well, he's still here. He keeps showing up and engaging with us through his word captured in the Bible and by the power and the illuminating insight and enlightenment of his spirit that is active in the world and resides within the soul of every Christian who follows Christ. And so Jesus isn't imitated by your jaded cynicism. He's not imitated by that. He doesn't care if you're a skeptic now because life's been hard and you don't trust him. He doesn't care. He's not intimidated by that. He's lived the worst life the human experience could concoct. He's lived it. So your skin is, your cynicism, your bad attitude, it doesn't intimidate him. He keeps coming forward, gently, unassumingly, under the radar, like that baby in a manger. And he's not bored by your lack of imagination. We have a really weak imagination when it comes to the creator of the universe. We just think he's like another crackpot that that we see walking around the street. Uh, That's a lack of imagination, C.S. Lewis said. But that doesn't bother Jesus. He's not offended or, or bored by the fact that our imaginations are weak. No, he's still eager to enlighten us. And here's the first clue that Jesus wants to transform your imagination and your expectations. The angels came to shepherds. That's the first clue that this guy does not conform to expectations. The angels came to shepherds. They didn't come to kings or to clergy or to philosophers, blue collar people working in the fields, not allowed to come into the temple. The real Jesus doesn't conform to what we expect But that is a very good thing. Because if you'll trust him, all the hearing about him and the discovering. If you'll let him, that'll all lead to adoration. The hearing about him, the discovering of him more and more, it eventually leads, if you continue through the process, to adoration. To worship. In verse 20, Luke tells us after this little visit, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. They had to go back to life. They had to go back to work. It wasn't a retreat, you know, spiritual high conference for the rest of their lives. They had to go back to work. They had to get back to what they did. But they returned glorifying and praising God for what they had seen and heard. They were changed. And here's, here's what I think. True worship Real legitimate worship that our Heavenly Father, the creator of the universe, accepts and loves. It comes from the joy of discovering the truth about him. All legitimate worship. Only, only legitimate worship comes out of a joy from discovering who God really is. It's not that we're always happy. But true worship will always be the result of being transformed by the truth that you've discovered about who God really is. You know, you're frightened at first at this unbearable glory and greatness of your creator as the shepherds were. And you just, you begin to discover and you begin to learn who is this Jesus. And now you're scandalized that the purity of God's holiness takes our sins so seriously that he would have to send his son to make things right, to kill our sin on the cross someday. God is more frightening than we can imagine. God is more holy than we can imagine, but you keep discovering, you keep You keep your eyes open, you keep your ears open, you keep reading your Bible, you keep praying, you keep talking to Christians you respect who are struggling alongside of you and discovering this Jesus alongside of you and all the fright and all the scandalization. Eventually, it leads to joy. Like the shepherds, you become overjoyed at his kindness. Yes, he is great. Yes, his holiness and purity scandalously confuses us and humbles us. And it leads to joy that he first came to us as a servant and not as a judge. He's coming back as a judge. Now is the time to pay attention to the baby who came to serve you. Now is the time to return to your creator while he's still near as your servant, don't wait for him to become your judge to start paying attention. Come adore on bended knee, Christ the Lord, the newborn King. I, I pray that this Christmas season, we will begin to maybe for the first time actually worship this Jesus that we've been hearing about. And discovering, ultimately, it leads to adoration. If your Christianity lacks a sense of awe and joy that would make you sing to this Jesus, really sing to him, not just because it's his birthday, because you sing to anybody if it's their birthday, even if you don't like them. No, when we sing to Jesus because he's worthy of it your life is changed forever just like the shepherds come adore on bended knee Christ the lord the newborn king that's the goal that's the goal of all that we do and my prayer is you know that's what we need we have christmas lists but this is what we need more than anything to adore jesus to worship jesus that's the goal that's that's why he came that's why he came cuz he he's saying You keep looking at these things that you think I am, and I'm not any of them. I'm going to show you who I really am. I want you to discover me. And if you do, it's going to lead to joy. Even in the darkness, even in the suffering, it's going to lead to joy, and you will become true worshipers. No longer idolaters who worship false impressions of who God is and what he said, but true worshipers who worship the true God who's seen in the real Jesus Christmas reveals a God who is greater and more holy and kinder than we have ever imagined or have expected. So come discover and adore the real Jesus. He's nothing you should joke about or blow off. He is not predictable. And as the children discovered about Aslan the lion, he is not tame. But he's good. He's accessible. He's humble. He's exactly what you need for Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we ask in faith that you would help us cast off the false images in our mind of who we think you are based on our failures or our tragedies or the scariest, darkest moments of our lives. Father, we ask that you would continue to be patient with us and gentle as in faith we begin to let Jesus Peel away the facades and the lies and the misconceptions and see him for who he truly is. Father, it's our desire to know him and to worship him. I pray that you would give each of us in the room the joy of having a life that is transformed by the living God, the real God. Would you do that for each of us in the way that we need it? But we ask that you would give us the privilege and the pleasure of bowing before the Lord Jesus someday in adoration, the risen King, in his name. Amen.